Missouri lawmakers are currently immersed in a special session to cut the state's income taxes and authorize tax credits related to agriculture. State Representative Lakeisha Bosley has not been a fan of how things have gone so far. And on the latest episode of Politically Speaking, the St. Louis Democrat explains how her party would do things better and what her caucus expects in 2023. Let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics. We have to talk about things that matter to people. I tried to bring that same aggressive iconoclast style with me to uh, the United States Senate. I think my district is a model for the state. We put Missourians first. You just kind of have to find the common ground with people. I believe that this district deserves someone who represents their values. After I came back to St. Louis, I started thinking that I could have a bigger role on the change that I wanted to make. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, St. Louis Public Radio political correspondent, Jason Rosenbaum. Joining me today, she is the state representative for, is it the 79th district? It's the 79th. Is it still the 79th district after redistricting? She, she, I, I think you're also running unopposed yes, again. Yes, I am and, running unopposed. And who is this person I'm talking to right now? <laughs> Lakeisha Bosley. Welcome back to the show. First time since 2020, believe yes, it or not. Yes, it has been a so, long time. Um, you're immersed in this special session involving tax cuts and agricultural tax credits. What's it been like so far? Um, so far, it has been a, um, what I like to say, a disaster. Um, in a sense, because, you know, for the tax cuts, um, the tax credit, excuse me, that we were working on um, just earlier this week, um, procedurally and democracy wise, you know, we we the, the, the force was exerted once, you know, Republican leadership realized that they may not have had the votes to pass this tax credit. Um, they went above and beyond to add members to the committee. And when they added two members or four members to this committee, they that that assured them that they had the votes. That is not democracy at its finest in in a way, shape, form, or fashion. Uh, this was kind of surprising because it was seen as the consensus that the agricultural tax credits were the less controversial aspect of the special session. Why did it have so much trouble getting eighty-two votes? Well, the thing about it is, is it goes hand in hand with the tax cut, right? Um, if we pass the tax credit, which I think is important for us to do. It will assist and help a lot of different areas, uh, rural and urban um, in the state. But, you know, when you have elected leaders and elected officials potentially being able to access those tax credits, it's like, are we really doing this for the people? Or are we doing this for a buyout for other people? Are, are you saying that if you're an elected official and you own a farm, the concern is that you would be able to take advantage of these tax credits. Exactly. I mean, we had a bill that we passed in the in regular session that bipartisanly was supported. I didn't understand the reason why we needed to veto it. We had the option to pass that and then come back during the session and do the extension of those other tax credits. Um, the problem is now, you know, with vetoing that, it's, it's throwing in more unnecessary distraction um, from what we should be focused on, which is making sure that we pay our bills as a state of Missouri, right? Mm -hmm. 
Um, we we have workers in the state. We can't even keep people working in the state's departments, um, let alone our child division, our children's division, where you have a lot of kids who are, you know, hurting and we're not paying, you know, people enough or social workers, et cetera, enough to be able to even stay there to do the job that needs to be done um, on that level. So if we can't even pay people to stay and help run the state, why are we coming back for a special session for tax credits when we could be doing something much bigger? So I have heard the argument that um, the ag tax credits are, quote unquote, self-serving. I mean, somebody even pointed out that, like, hypothetically, the governor of Missouri could take advantage of it since he he's a farmer. Yeah. But I, I would kind of push back against that and say, if you're going to take that standard, then lawyers should never be involved in anything that involves lawyers. It are, shouldn't be involved involved in statutory changes, et cetera. Because they could, that could have helped them financially. Or I, I, I could also say the same thing if you're a member of a labor union and you're voting against anti-labor uh, legislation. You could make an argument that that's going to help you, too. So I, I don't really... I, I'm not taking a position on that. Yeah. I can just say that there's pretty easy pushback to that. Would I mean, you agree? It's, it's very easy pushback. And my thing is, is like I said, I I understand. And it, that's an argument that has been put out there. Um, I would rather us do something worth of substance, which is giving relief to Missourians where they actually need it, which is paying people a livable wage while we're the last on the totem pole for teachers pay. We're the last for maternal um, mortality. And we're one of the last in the entire country for that so if we aren't doing the things that actually matter then why are we coming here for a tax credit when we already did this in regular session i don't think that this was something that was extraordinarily needed um i think that there are a lot of different um options and topics that we could have addressed in this extraordinary special session. I just don't think that this agricultural tax credit was a good one at all. Well, let's move to the income tax cut, because that has been the more contentious part of this special session. Mm -hmm. Why have Democrats been so outspoken against the idea of cutting the state income tax? So it's more so of who will get the tax cut. Um, you know, when the proposal was first put out there um, on my Twitter. I even shared it from the Missouri Budget Project, the projections of saying $6,000 would be an actual tax cut or be given to individual earners who are earning over 500000 or more. Whereas at the bottom three tiers, those people who are making $8,000 or, I mean, 18000 to 36000 would only receive like 800 or $500 or $80. And, right? I, and I put out the argument, uh, the uh, example too. My wife and I make a little over $100,000. We get about, I don't know, 700 maybe less now because it's it's not as much. But, but yeah. yeah, I've made that argument too. Yeah, I mean, it's not going to help the individuals who actually need it. So getting rid of it is like, okay, well, if we're going to do something as far as taxes and cutting taxes that help people, then we should be looking at cutting food taxes. We should be looking at the pink tax for diapers. We should be looking at all of these different areas. And, and my thing is, you know, we, we should be looking at all of these different areas where it actually helps individuals in their lives, everyday to lives, to get them, you know, that type of tax cut would be more beneficial for all Missourians than not just the wealthy. Wouldn't it make sense, though, that the wealthy would get a 
bigger benefit from a tax cut since they pay more in taxes than somebody who is lower or middle income. I mean, and that's the thing that we've been talking about, you know, nationally and across the country is people who pay more taxes, honestly, are the poor individuals. Poor people pay more taxes. So, yeah, you may pay more income tax, but a poor individual pays more taxes overall. So the reason why this special session happened is that Governor Parson ended up vetoing what I think was a tax rebate. <laughs> and the the argument from proponents was, well, let's do one-time relief. Some people get 500, some people get 1,000. The governor has really pushed back against that and said that there was not enough money in this program to actually give people that amount of money. Mm-hmm. Was he wrong? Um, I haven't looked thoroughly into that. I don't know if he was necessarily wrong, but I, I agreed with him that we needed to not pass that tax rebate because the people that they were saying would get 500 or 1,000. If you are individual, you'll get 500. Joint, you'll get 1,000. But it really wasn't going to the people who would actually need it. And that was the thing. It, it needed more time to actually, excuse me, it needed more time to actually go through and vet the process within itself. That was something that came at the spur of the moment, I think, within two weeks of ending session. So we needed at least two months to actually vet it through, really go to the drawing board, talk to businesses, commerces, um, talk to individuals, um, talk to the Missourians, really, and figure out how this would have worked and how this would have been beneficial to them. The argument I've heard from proponents of a tax cut, they say we have a record surplus. We've just had this budget where we've spent lots and lots of money on things. Why doesn't it make sense to give some of that surplus back to Missourians? I think we should have given some something back to Missourians. Um, if I'm not mistaken, um, before uh, Cody Smith uh, filed his legislation, um, Representative Wyndham actually brought up that, you know, we should be giving some of this money back to Missourians. Representative Kevin Wyndham, Kevin Wyndham. of St. Louis County. Yeah. Continue. He, so he brought that up. And that was the that was the thing of it. It's like, OK, well, that was a good idea. But why haven't we taken the time to actually vet that was it because it came from a democrat or was it just we didn't want to do it right then and there and then on the back end we ended up doing something but it wasn't going to help missourians it wasn't going to give relief to those who actually needed relief it was going to give the relief to people who are already making more than enough money to not even in that pandemic kind of um, they felt the pandemic in some ways, but for people who were losing their jobs, staying at home, who couldn't get to work, that w- those are the individuals that we needed to focus on. So I'm very sympathetic to the argument that the state workers are underpaid yes. and that we do not have enough of them. Yeah. But I am cautioned by the idea. Well, let me rephrase that. I I am not sure if the solution to that is taking money from this surplus and hiring a bunch of people and then not having a revenue stream to maintain those people after the surplus goes away. What do you make of that particular argument that that may not be the best way to use this extra money? (laughs) The thing is this, when you hire people, people get paid and people pay for things. So I think that argument within itself is, you know, it's not really an argument because if you give people jobs, they have to pay to live. They have to pay their taxes. They have to pay um, for food. They have to pay restaurants. They have to pay all of these different things. So if people are buying things, then they're paying back into the economy. So I don't think that there isn't a revenue stream that would for that surplus that will go uh, that would be the 
depleted in any way. I think that it just goes to say that we are scared to actually put ourselves out there to hire people and qualify people for these positions. We're just afraid to do that and, and admit that we have a problem with paying people. And I think that's really what it is. Yeah, I alluded to this earlier, but the bill that passed the Senate it does have what's known as triggers in it. Yes. So it doesn't go all the way to 4.8%. 4. I think it goes to 4.95% and goes down if certain general revenue dollars are met. Do you think that this was a more responsible way to, to organize this tax cut? I mean, I will say that I think and I understand what was done there. Um, and I agree that those triggers should have been there um, to make sure that we don't blow a $2 billion deficit in our state's budget, right? However, I will say what happens when we haven't or we haven't met those thresholds or if we do meet those thresholds, are we going to bring ourselves back up? Um, so essentially, we're pulling the rug from under people by saying, oh, we're going to give you this tax cut for a year or two years. And then all of a sudden now your taxes increase. I, I think that that's I don't irresponsible. Think we can, no, I actually don't think it would will be possible to raise the taxes back unless you put it to a vote of the people. Yep. It has to go through the Hancock. And yeah. That's the Hancock. Hancock Amendment, and that's the thing. I don't know anyone, especially who will be willing to vote to raise taxes on themselves. We, since Missouri hasn't raised cigarette taxes, um, I have a hard time believing they will raise income taxes, yep. even if it's for a worthy cause. Do you? Do you? Okay, so so I would prefer us, and I'll just say this: sure. I would prefer us if we could actually put this tax cut to the vote of the people mm. as we do. I mean, if we're going to decrease taxes, I think the people should have a say in how we should do that and if they agree with it or not. Do you expect any major changes to either of these bills that we've talked about when session resumes next week? We're recording this on September 23rd, which is a Friday. The legislature is supposed to come back Wednesday, Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm hoping that there is some change. I really hope that we stand strong in saying, hey, this is just not good for us right now. Um, I don't think that this is a good place for us to be as we are still having the conversation um, about what we will look like for five years from now, etc. I don't think that this is a smart move. Um, so I'm hoping that on my side of the aisle and the other side of the aisle, we just say, hey, let's just hold off on this. If we do do something, let's do the taxes, the tax cuts for, like I said, the diaper tax, for the foods tax. And and I think that would be a better way for us to show our appreciation to Missourians and give them some type of relief than to blow a $2 billion deficit in our budget when we already are having problems paying our bills to begin with. We'll be right back after this short break with State Representative Lakeisha Bosley. And we're back on Politically Speaking with State Representative Lakeisha Bosley. She's a Democrat who represents a portion of the city of St. Louis in the Missouri House. By the way, what does your new district look like? I for, I should have asked that on the onset, but like you're you're probably going to be have a little bit more different territory come 2023? I definitely have different territory. Um, so I no longer have downtown West. Um, I come further up now. Um, I no longer have a lot of North St. Louis. Um, I have a smaller portion of North St. Louis, like JVL, Vandevender neighborhood, 
um, a little bit of what is uh, what currently was the fourth ward, um, which will now be the 11th or a piece of the 11th ward. Um, so I no longer have um, the the Grove area. Um, so I come all the way back in and I go a little further south to um, Tower Grove now to Tower Grove Park. Um, I, I was there to Arsenal, but now I actually go up to Kings Highway. Um, so I've got a much larger district that sits a little bit more in the heart of the city without um, going or extending itself further downtown or further west to the Grove. That's very useful information for St. Louis City residents who may now be your constituents. Yes. What do you foresee being major issues during the 2023 session? Um, you know, I think... Abortion is going to be a conversation that we're going to have. Um, I honestly think that, you know, this special session is just a distraction from that because Repub my Republican colleagues are getting um, hammered by this. The fact that Roe v. Wade was overturned and we passed House Bill 126, the heartbeat bill. And the thing about that was is we stood up on the floor until we were blue in the face telling them that this was not going to go over well. You have rape and incest in here. You have atopic pregnancies. There is a lot of health concerns. And I don't believe that government should be in the room between between a patient and their health care provider. That's not our place. Um, and we put ourselves in that, and now we have to figure out a way to get ourselves and dig ourselves out of that hole. And I think abortion is going to be a very big topic of conversation. I think that it should have been a special session. Um, I know the governor said that it was too complicated, um, that he doesn't think that it should have been a conversation, a special session. I disagree um, because you have a lot of people right now, a lot of women, right now who are currently struggling. Their doctors are having to talk to legal counsel to figure out if they can perform um, this abortion on this certain pregnancy, this atopic pregnancy, because it, it is hazardous towards mommy and baby. Um, and how do they proceed forward? And I think that gets in the way of a lot of the healthcare procedures that, you know, are now being put in place. And it's unfair. I want to be realistic to our listeners. Mm -hmm. Okay. I don't think that the law you just referred to is going to be repealed no. in 2023 or 2024. No. But I do want to ask you, if you did have the power to repeal that law and put something else in place, what would you like to see sort of the restrictions on abortion be in Missouri? I don't think there should be any restrictions. I think that it's health care. Um, and I think that's what people forget is that this is health care. You have women right now who are currently in pain and struggling while carrying a pregnancy that is not viable and they can't get an abortion in Missouri. And if a doctor performs it, then the doctor could go to jail and then the mother could go to jail. So it's just health care, period. So I don't think that there should have been any restrictions whatsoever. Um, of course, it won't be overturned and it won't be repealed um, in Missouri. But if I had to say anything, I would say that this the the provisions and the restrictions that should be put in place is that if the doctor and the parent or the mother have the decision and decide that this is something that needs to be done, then that is something that should be um, taken care of. One of the ways Republicans are like pushing back against criticism of this law is they're saying, well, when people like you say that there should be no restrictions, that means that people should be able to get an abortion up to nine months or to the moment of birth. 
I, I'm sure you've heard that yeah, counter argument, but, but I think I think you should have a chance to respond to that. Yeah, but that's ridiculous, though. Um, I, I think that anyone who carries a baby to nine months is possibly and more likely going to give birth to that child um, unless something egregiously happens to mother and baby. Like, that's a thing. But I I think that, you know, they're just trying to find a way to make themselves sound sound (laughs) and that this abortion ban was an okay thing, and it's absolutely not. And and, uh, America knows this. Um, uh, Women know this on either side of the party, Um, Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, whatsoever. Everyone knows that this was bad, bad business, and they are just trying to figure out a way to, you know, find footing because they're losing it. Do you think that there could be added discussion about adding an exception for people that become pregnant because of rape or incest? I mean, of course, they want to have the conversation. Like I said, they're getting a pushback from everywhere about this abortion ban with Roe v. Wade being overturned. And now they're realizing, oh, my goodness, what did we do? We really we, we, we mucked up. We really screwed up what we thought was going to be, you know, a win for the Republican Party. And it turned out to be devastating. And I think, you know, people need to actually look at this and realize and say, oh, my goodness, they're really not passing legislation in our best interest. They're passing legislation that fuels their own ideology. And this is another way and another reason why people need to vote Democratic, in my opinion. Do you think that this issue will ultimately be decided through a ballot item? I believe, I mean, Kansas did it. Um, I don't see why Missouri couldn't do it. Do you think that a ballot item to repeal the trigger law would pass in Missouri, given that there is widespread sentiment outside of St. Louis and Kansas City and inside St. Louis and Kansas City that abortion is wrong. I would hope to see that. And I think that that is something that could be passed. It passed in Kansas. Kansas gave us hope um, because Kansas is very similar as a Republican state as we are. So Kansas gave us hope in that way to Mm -hmm. say if we did put something on the ballot, uh, widely supported across Missouri, women, men, allies will be more in support and in favor of restricting that completely, of, of repealing that completely. So the probably the marquee ballot item this year is a Amendment 3, which would legalize adult use marijuana. The idea of legalization. Okay. What do you mean by that? Because I, I get a sense you're not a fan of this particular proposal. I am not a fan of it. Um, The idea of legalization is it's saying, oh, we're going to do expungement. Expungement is in here, but that is expungement by appropriation. So we have to appropriate a certain amount of dollars in order for people to um, apply for expungement from their records. Now, this isn't just expungement for everyone. This is expungement for people who are who have three pounds or less or just and it also in the Constitution, we're adding sight and search. So say, for instance, you're outside in a smoking area, a designated area, and you're just smoking your marijuana, the police have to cite and search you, um, where the argument is saying, oh, well, we won't have to worry about that in St. Louis City or Kansas City. I push back and say, we're going to have to worry about that everywhere in Missouri, because there is a higher minority population in the boot heel, um, in areas like Southeast Missouri, there in, in Lake of the Ozarks. Like, we have a very large... Northeast Missouri, too. Northeast yeah. Missouri as well. Like, so there are going to be problems in all across the state when it comes to that site and search. So I think that it is a carrot to say, oh, we're legalizing it. But really, there is a hole at the bottom that we're not going to get ourselves out of. 
So why didn't the legislature end up passing something to get ahead of this ballot item? The legislature put something together. Um, I know. And, Representative and, and, Bland, Manlove, uh, Ron Hicks. I was going to say, Ron Hicks actually did a podcast with Sarah Kellogg where he talked about it. So there, I, I want to back up for a second. Yeah. There clearly was something that was trying to be done. What my question meant is, why didn't y'all pass stuff like this? I couldn't tell you. I mean, the powers that be, the conversations, um, you know, what I heard most of the time was it was too late in session. But I really think that it was all politics. Um, and, and I think that that's what it is. And at the end of the day, we have to take sometimes ourself out of this. And majority of the time, you got to take yourself out of it and do what's best for the people. And what was best for the people was for us to pass the statutory law that was put in place by bipartisanly that was supported bipartisanly in order for us to get to this point if uh this ends up failing if amendment three ends up failing do you think that that there will be an impetus for the legislature to actually pass something next year i very much so hope so um i think that ron uh ron hicks uh who filed it for the special session and had the conversation about it i think that shows where we are as a legislature and as um the the elected leaders to want to actually do something that benefits and does what people are asking and craving which is legalization of marijuana let's move on to the campaign uh, that is, I guess, two months away. Wow, time has really flown. Less than it's 50 just, days. It's crazy. How do you think Democrat Trudy Bush Valentine is going to do against Republican Attorney General Eric Schmidt in the U.S. Senate race? I think Trudy has a very good chance. Um, I think people are resonating to her. They identify with a lot of the issues that she brings forward. Um, and I understand that, you know, there is this concept of, you know, well, she's a billionaire and she's a Democrat. I don't know if she's actually a billionaire, but I do know the Bush family. I did a Google search. The Bush family is worth collectively like $13 billion. Yeah, but that's the thing. You hear that all the time, right? And by them, at because she's a part of the Bush family, they're already saying that, well, she's this and making those associations. But she's just a real life person. And I think more people get to know her and identify with her. Um, I think that, you know, she has a very good chance. I think Eric has definitely uh, um, pretty much dug himself into a hole on multiple fronts of one time, uh, one front saying, oh, we we need to ban these mass mandates and, you know, going after our schools and suing our school systems. But then right after he won his primary, he put out and said, oh, well, masks work. I, where He contradicts himself so much. And I don't know if we want a senator who in, actually In the China lawsuit, I think that's what you're referring to. Do you think that Trudy Bush Valentine will be able to resurrect the urban, suburban, rural coalition that's required for Democrats to win? Because she could be like the greatest person on earth, but if she's getting blown out in rural Missouri and she's losing Jefferson County by 15 percentage points, mm -hmm. she's going to lose automatically. I think she's already doing it right now, which is going out and having those conversations and telling people where she stands and getting in front of folks. Um, I think the more important thing that she has to do is ignite her base and get them excited. And I think that comes with more of what she's trying to do, which is reach the people and be where the people are and listening to them. Um, as an urban Democrat and an African-American woman, um, you know, I, I, she, she has to appeal to us in a way that makes sense 
sense and that gets us energized and getting us energized is talking about the issues that plague our communities, which it plagues majority of the communities across Missouri, which is jobs, economic development and how we can bring dollars and resources back to Missouri to to help, you know, stifle that issue. I think the reason why her performance is so important for House Democrats is I think House Democrats have a, a, a rare opportunity to gain seats because yeah. the map is pretty favorable to them. But if Trudy Bush Valentine, like, gets less than 40 percent of the vote, like, that's a doomsday scenario. Yeah. I could see some, not only those gains being lessened, I could see some incumbent Democrats potentially losing under that scenario. Is that why you think it's important for her to do well? Um, I think it's important for any Democrat to do well, right? But I don't think that truly losing will affect what we're doing on the state level and the re- or if she does, in which I hope she doesn't. Um, I don't think that that will affect the incumbents on the state level. And here is why is because those incumbents have been doing the work for years at this point and they have and been in their districts and know their districts. If anything, I feel like we'll pick up seats versus lose some. Let's talk about the state auditor's race, because we had uh, former state representative Alan Green on the show, and we're actually going to be having state treasurer Scott Fitzpatrick to do his show. Alan Green spent a lot of time on this podcast talking about how he has called hundreds of people that typically donate to Democratic statewide candidates, and he has been having a really difficult time raising money. Mm. And I think it brings up an open question about just whether people are not donating to him because they don't think that he can beat Scott Fitzpatrick. Mm -hmm are whether he is running into the same problem that other black statewide candidates have run into, that they just have a difficult time raising money compared to their white counterparts. Yeah. I, I'd be interested in your, your your observation on this. I mean, if we look at MEC and we look at these committee reports, you will see largely across the board that African-American candidates receive less funding and less contributions and donations than our wider counterparts. So it is extremely hard for black candidates to raise money, not only because we're considered to be in safe Democratic seats, um, but also, you know, it, it we we haven't had the infrastructure, so to speak, to be able to reach out in those ways um, to be able to obtain those donation amounts. But I guess the counter argument is that, again, Treasurer Fitzpatrick has not been super controversial as a statewide official. It seems like he is just genuinely the favorite in that race. So could that be a bigger reason why there's a funding gap rather than the fact that Ellen Green is black? I mean, Missouri is red, right? And it's... uh it's at one point it was purple. So at one point, a lot of people were willing to donate to Democrat and Republican because we were in we were a battleground state. And right now, because Missouri is so red, a lot of people probably feel like, well, you know, I'd rather bet my hedges with the the candidate who is more likely to win because they have an R behind their name. I believe in competition. So the fact that Allen is competition, but he's not receiving the same pain grade to be able to compete literally limits the competition for Democrats. So if people start donating to Democrats the same way they donate to Republicans, I know for a fact that we could get back to a Republic. We can get back to a purple state and be battleground if we did that. But we don't do that anymore. Well, let's talk about one other electoral arena that is probably close to your heart, which is the city of St. Louis. Yes. Uh, two, two 
your father was involved in the Board of Aldermen, and yeah. two of your brothers were involved in St. Louis city politics. Your your brother is currently on the Board of Aldermen. Yeah. Your other brother happened to be the first black mayor of St. Louis, yes. uh, Freeman Bosley Jr. So there's this Board of Aldermen president race going on between Jack Coder and Megan Green. Yeah. And the winner of that race will serve from probably sometime in November until sometime in April. Mm-hmm. And the question that I have about this race between two white candidates who are competing for votes in a city that is at least 50 percent black Mm -hmm. is if either one of them fields an opponent in March that's a African-American candidate that has run for office before and can mount a credible campaign are are they automatically the underdog in that race um I will say they're not necessarily the underdog, but it'll be. A, when, it'll I say, be a vic- when I say they, I, I mean Megan Green or Jack Coder. Yeah. I want to make clear to our yeah. listeners who I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I wouldn't say that they are the underdog, but I will say that they're going to have a tougher time um, because let's be honest, you know, having a qualified black candidate in that race will definitely limit um, the African-American vote for either of those candidates. And that's just very realistic. And that's a very real thing. Um, whereas the right now, what we're dealing with, you know, yeah, this is a race. We're going to have to vote in November. You know, Prop D made it so that whoever won in this last election, it really didn't matter. Um, the real election is in the November election and who actually do, do gets not even do get me work. started on that. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I know I've gotten some pushback from people. There should absolutely have not been an election when there's two candidates. That is ridiculous. Especially if you get over 50%. Yeah. I I don't think it's a controversial thing to say. Continue. That yeah. is, I, I, And I was saying that in 2021, yeah. too. I want to make that clear. I said the same there, thing. There was no reason why Megan Green had to run beat Jennifer Florida by 70% twice. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of money. Yep. Um, but, that, but the concept is, you know, they were going to have to be on the ballot in the general anyway, so might as well. And I'm just like, no, that's not, you know. But let's get back to the topic yeah, at hand. But, but we will get back. But that is a very real thing. So, yeah. I mean, I, I think that they definitely will have a challenge. Uh, e- whoever wins um, will have a challenge if a qualified black candidate gets into the race. I mean, myself personally, I am definitely hoping for that um, because I believe in representation and I believe in seeing people who I identify with the city and who make up the city in those positions. Um, But, you know, as I keep saying, qualified candidates, we just don't want to vote for anyone and have anyone there just because they are a minority, they're African-American or anything. What do you think um, will happen, though, with the Board of Aldermen? Because everybody's going to be on the ballot. And I think (laughs) that there could be instances where incumbents are running against each other or something like that. Um, I I think it's this is going to be a very interesting election, so to speak, in, in March. Um, we're going to see a lot of, you know, uh, incumbents running against each other. Hopefully there is conversations to be had about who would be the best candidate for, you know, that so that we don't have to divide our city in that way. But, I mean, everybody has the right to run. And I think everybody who feels like they want to run and feel like they are qualified and will do a good job for it, I say go for it. You know, the more the merrier. Let's see the talent that that we have out here in the city of St. Louis, and let's make it happen. Thank you so much for joining me today. And for all of our stories, stlpr.org, Politically Speaking, is a product of St. Louis Public Radio, which is a part of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. You can follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. 
How can people follow you on Twitter or any other parts of the World Wide Web? So uh, you can follow me at Team Bosley, M-O-79, and that's also on TikTok. So guys, do not judge me. (laughs) I finally got on TikTok. (laughs) So please follow me on all social platforms at Team Bosley, Mo 79 I actually started using TikTok during the primary election and had a semi-enjoyable time with it. It's it's it, it's a guilty pleasure that I'm having the fact but, that I'm enjoying TikTok. But I'll be honest with you, Representative, when that primary ended, I deleted the app and didn't re-download it for a month <laughs> because I was like, I, I, this is too hard. It is you, very you, hard. You Gen Z people, you have incredible video editing skills. They are amazing, you. you know, and I am a millennial, so I don't have I, half as I, much talent as they've got. I'm an older millennial, so... Kudos to the younger generation until next.